Welcome to Last First State Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 392 with Amy Smith, How to Tame the Inner Critic. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy Weiner, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and in love. What is a woman of value? She is someone who knows her worth, and she shows up, stands up, and speaks up in every area of her life. Every week, I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value. This week's tip is create a life that energizes you and fills you up. It took me a lifetime to create a life that did that. And I encourage you that if you have an idea, if you have even a small breadcrumb of an idea and you're thinking, I would love to do more of that, do it. You know, take, take the time to even do 10% more of that until you really are doing really what lights you up in the world because life is too short and it's important to live your dreams. So before I bring on my guest, I just wanted to remind anybody who is not yet a member of my free Facebook group, Your Last First Date. It is a group to help women over 40 who are interested in positive and growing relationships, not stuck relationships, not relationships where we bash men and, and complain a lot. This is a place to grow and to create, get positive help. So if you're looking for positive support and you want to get out of a romantic rut, join us at Your Last First Date on Facebook. Just look in the groups there and you will find us. And now for our guest, she's actually a return guest. Her name is Amy Smith. She is a certified confidence coach. And I just found out she went to the same certification program as I did. It's called CTI Coaches Training Institute, which is a fabulous school. Makes me like her even more. She is a masterful speaker. She's a personal empowerment expert, and she is the founder of thejoyjunkie.com. She uses her role as a coach, a writer, a podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. She helps people find their voice, and she is sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor. So we're going to hear some of that in just a moment. Welcome to the show, Amy. Wow, I sound fancy. <laughs> you don't read it. Bio writing is so agonizing, but then when you hear it back, you're kind of like, oh, all right. That's me. That's right. Women of value. That's, That's right. right. Well, we have, it sounds like we have a lot in common besides being all graduates of CTI and being certified, which a lot of coaches are not, and they kind of hang out the shingle and just make it up yeah. as they go. And we do some making up too. I don't want to sure. lie, but um, I, I love that you empower people and that you focus a lot on communication boundaries. You know, these are all topics that speak to my heart. Yeah. And so today we're talking about the inner critic and... Yes. This is so important. And actually, we were just talking about how um, the Coaches Training Institute doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the inner critic. We, we learn about it, and then we kind of move on. And this, yeah. I found, is such an important part of working with clients. Yeah. So tell us how the inner critic shows up differently for each person. Well, I think you're spot on, Sandy, in what you're saying here, because with regards to personal development, the inner critic is really the one element that's 24 seven, it's inescapable. Mm -hmm. 
and it's a part of us. So it's not necessarily something that we can eradicate or no longer experience, but we can certainly learn how to engage with it powerfully. And that's one of the reasons why I think coaching is so powerful is it allows you to really be in the, the driver's seat around things like your inner critic, but it really does show up differently for a lot of people. And I think this is something that for me was a huge revelation in the sense that I am so much more emotionally in tune. So I think for a lot of people, your inner critic will speak to you in, in different ways. So for some people, depending on the way that they learn and such, they might have very literal words that come in their mind, like you are not worthy, or you are unlovable, or too old to enter the dating game, or whatever it might be. And then for others, I think that there's more of an emotional current or kind of an essence that they might experience. So a great example that, that people may resonate with, let's say you are scrolling through social media and you see a really happy couple or maybe your ex from high school who now has this picturesque relationship and they're you know cavorting and carrying on in the mediterranean all this you know the the highlight reel right and and you don't necessarily hear the words you are damaged and unlovable but you almost feel like a sinking feeling in your chest where your heart kind of falls and there's sort of this cloak of sadness or maybe melancholy or depression or um, shame even, fear. And in that moment, that's our access point. You know, So we have to kind of look at how do I gain information? Sometimes it's through that literal word in the mind or phrasing in the mind. And then sometimes it's more through our emotions. And then for others, still, it's a hybrid. Uh, I know for myself, sometimes I hear a very clear phrase. And then other times I'll experience sort of an essence or a charge or an emotion. And I have to excavate behind that and go, wait a minute, what? What was that sort of that falling of the heart? What what happened there? What did I just make up in my head? And then I can usually deduce, oh, okay, you just made up that if that person is successful, that must mean you can't be. Okay. And then I can do something with that. Right? How, do you have that experience at all where you kind of have different entry points? Definitely have different entry points. And I think that uh, I, I totally hear everything that you're saying. And something else that came up for me as you were talking is that I've also heard people say that the inner critic is so enmeshed in who they are yes. that they can't even separate what's inner critic from what's me anymore. Right. So what do you what do you do in a case like that? Yeah. So what I think is happening there is uh, the ratio is not uh, in in our favor, right? So if you think of sort of this old image that many of us have seen on cartoons, you know, with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, really what we're looking at is the piece of us that's our authentic self that's tapped into our intuition and versus the other side of us that is more the inner critic that actually is just trying to keep us safe. And we don't realize that. But the inner critic is, is always working towards homeostasis. It works off of knowns and unknowns. So if you are engaging in something that is not known to your mind, the inner critic goes, 
oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, not safe, not safe. And then it just talks shit to you, which is really unfortunate. (laughs) Um, So it's like it's trying to protect you. It's just really mean in how it does it. Uh, Versus upping, upping the amplification of our authentic self, our intuition. And I think for many people, that part is atrophied. So the same way muscles are atrophied, we can still gain strength. We can still work those out so that we flip that ratio so that the intuition, the authentic self is louder than the, than that inner critic. But I think what you're pointing to is the very first step, which most, most people don't like hearing this, but the very, very first step is the awareness is recognizing, Oh, they are so deeply intertwined that I don't know who's speaking. And what that now takes is in each and every scenario to to analyze each scenario. And so what I suggest that people do is a perspective, I call it the scientific perspective, almost where you stand outside of yourself from kind of a voyeuristic perspective, like you have your clipboard and you're taking notes and you observe the subject, which is yourself. Does that subject really want to go on that date or does she think that she has to or else she is damaged or does she think that it's, you know, there's some patriarchal norm about, oh, if you must put out, if you've been paid, had somebody paid for a dinner or blah, blah, you know, and you observe, you observe, what does she really want? Oh, it, it looks like the subject's uncomfortable. Hmm. I wonder, and you start dissecting what's actually happening for you and going, oh, wait a minute. Maybe there's old messaging from mom and dad. Maybe there's messaging from society or an ex-partner and looking at, well, what is it that that person truly wants? Or you can imagine scripting it for a play or a movie, something like that where you take yourself out of it. Because a lot of times when we're in the middle of it, we're like, I don't know. I don't know what's talking. I don't know what I want. And I don't know is typically a loop where you, you don't get out of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, that <laughs> you got worked up there. I know. <laughs> I'm going to start sweating. I always start sweating. <laughs> but I totally hear you. You know that I love the scientific perspective and I've used the journalist's perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I remember um, years ago uh, when my dad was alive, he for many years would have to go through shock treatments for depression. And it was really hard as his daughter to be the one taking him and sitting in a room with all these people waiting to be zapped. (laughs) And one day to really help me, I took my computer and I started just recording everything he was saying as a journalist, instead of as his daughter having all these emotions, I took myself out and I just started to dad, you know, tell me about that. Tell me about the last time, you know, and, and I verbatim, I ended up publishing it and it, it, it was so interesting because Without saying a word, you could see his depression. You could see his self being consumed with himself and what people thought of him and all these things without me having to say anything. And I think, you know, when we can step out and see, it shows us such a different, different perspective. And it's, it's powerful. So I love, I love that idea. Because it is hard for us to separate. And I also like that you brought up intuition because I think a lot of people confuse intuition with baggage, triggers, reactions to things. Mm. And especially in the dating world, I find that 
lot of people say, oh, just trust your gut. And their gut is really their saboteur saying, right. stay away. Um, and not really seeing the person for who they are in front of you, but based on your past experiences. I completely concur. And the the thing about intuition that that I will say is, first of all, society breeds it out of us. You know, like when when we're growing up, nobody is like, you know, what what is your internal knowing? What is your what's your what's being called forth for your career? No, we say got to do four years, then you got to go through another degree program, and then you got to get a secure. We do all this cog- cognitive work, <laughs> but we don't do anything about emotional intelligence. We don't do anything about listening to your internal knowing, about just being quiet and listening. We, and I personally believe that that's our internal God, that's our divinity. It's, we all have that compass, but we're taught to do what I call the cognitive override. Well, he looks good on paper. She looks great on paper, or she's really great with my kids. I better, you know, or whatever it might be. And it, instead of leaning into, is that a red flag? Like what that person said, is that my fear talking or is that my intuition talking? And they're, they're intermeshed too, you know, which is, which is a challenge. So what I will say, aside from the fact that please know that we are relearning how to engage with intuition. But also, I'm sure you probably see this as well. I think that learning how to tap into intuition is probably the hardest piece of personal development, period. Because it's so incredibly intangible and it's completely unique to each person. And we're constantly being told otherwise of what we should be thinking or how to behave and, and whatnot. So Bottom line, be compassionate with yourself as you, as you flex that muscle. Yeah, really good advice. Self-compassion is difficult for people. Absolutely. And trusting yourself, trusting your own inner knowing. And it is something that takes practice, a lot of practice, because we have gotten it beaten out of us many times by society, by patriarchy, by lots of things. Yes. And we stop really trusting that we have the answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just reminded me of uh, a speech I gave where the refrain that kept going was, you have the answers. <laughs> you have the answers. Because I kept yeah. looking outside myself for answers for a really big, big, big question that I had that was a life or death kind of thing. Yeah. And And we do know. We know. And it's scary sometimes. But I think also when you do the, the work with a coach uh, yes. to really get clear about your core values, to know who you are at your essence, then you know what you're protecting with boundaries, you know how to tune in with your intuition, and you know how to trust that you have the answers. That's right. Um, the, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because that in, in the coaching program that I teach, we spend an entire week on values. And the chronology is such that we kind of unpack all the shit that's not working, all the negative belief systems, all the disempowering um, self-talk, et cetera, before we can even move into who am I, right? And how I identify and what my core values really are. Because for so long, we've been listening to that inner critic. And oftentimes that inner critic is an iteration of our parents' language, of our parents' voices, which runs incredibly deep. So again, as much compassion as you can give yourself through the journey. And also to really know that whatever choices you've made in the past, 
with regards to previous relationships, or even those of you who found yourself 40 and beyond never having a relationship. Oftentimes, it's not just for the fuck of it. It's because we have some sort of defense mechanism that that is the way we can stay safe, you know? And it was to shut up and put up in this relationship or to uh, allow myself to be guarded and never let anybody in. We don't do that for the hell of it. We do it because it's the only way we know how to stay safe. And then you learn new tools and then you're able to employ other tactics to help you get where you really want to go without getting in your own way. So true. So true. Truth, wisdom, <laughs> listen, people. Um, and, you know, I have to say that that was me. And I, without this work, I wouldn't be able to be open. I wouldn't be able to let love in and to stop putting the guards up and be able to actually speak my truth. And, and um, you know, and I have clients who have boyfriends who are wounded and bringing that wounded self to the table. And the first response in an argument is, I'm out of here. Right. I'm leaving. I'm walking away. And it's, it's all protection. It's yes. all ways that we protect ourselves because that fight or flight kicks in, man, boy, it's like, I want to survive in, in, you know, in the cave, man, you know, in the cave. Yes. And Absolutely. Not in the cave anymore, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Hurtful words does not mean um, impending death the way, you know, our fear response was in days of old, right? So now it's, you know, if I'm, you know, but that's another thing to really be aware of is we're biologically wired to experience fear in such an extreme. So now when, you know, somebody doesn't call us back or we get ghosted or we feel too old to get on a new app or whatever it might be, that fear registers in our brain like we're about to get eaten by a lion. So be compassionate with yourself, but then also know that you have the cognitive awareness to go, okay, sweet pea, you are actually not about to get eaten. And one of the things that I remind myself all the time is you cannot have courage without fear. So if you have this apprehension or, you know, fear or around getting, of course, of course you're human. And now you have the opportunity for courage. There goes the self-compassion again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, thank you. Thank you, fear. You're helping me be courageous. That's right. Appreciate that. Yes. Now I get to be a badass. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, Amy, you are married. And uh, I'm just curious about your own journey, if you'd be willing to share, like, what inner critic stuff you had to work through to be available to the relationship you have today. That's interesting. So I, I met my partner when I was 18 and we got married when I was 20 and we've been together for 22 years. He's the absolute light of my life. I believe he is my soulmate. And I also believe that there are more out there. I don't think that you have just one. Uh, but I, I behaved very oddly to things that oftentimes shut people down. So I remember very distinctly being, I don't know, probably 14 or 15 and some guy broke my heart and I was really upset about it. And the thoughts that I was thinking were, okay, if, if I can be this way within a relationship, 
which I didn't have necessarily the words or semantics at the time, but it was, if I can be vulnerable, if I can be open, if I can really bear who I am, there has to be somebody else out there who has that same capacity. So I don't think that that's common though. I think most people go, oh, that's what happens when you get vulnerable. Oh, better put all these walls up, nothing to see here, people. But the problem with that is that the amount of intimacy that we experience in a relationship is directly proportional to the, how vulnerable we're willing to be. So if your walls up like crazy, that's the amount of intimacy that you're going to get. But yet we crave it and we want to be matched, but there's a risk involved. And I think, I oftentimes will say, I think that perspective that I had from a very early age was why I manifested my soulmate at 18. Um, I don't think that that's common. Uh, but then also, I wasn't taking any shit for, I mean, my parents were really great in that way where I was allowed to be very vocal and my, my husband still says that, you know, I taught him how to communicate because there were, uh, <laughs> our very first date, we pull into my parents' house driveway and I was like, so how do you feel? How do you, I would debriefed it. How do you feel that that went? I feel really <laughs> good about it. Tell me your thoughts. <laughs> like, you know, and he was like, whoa, okay. And I would <laughs> tell him all the time, here's what I want. Here's what say these things. Don't say those things. And, um, and I don't think that that was very, very common either. But where I did really struggle with inner critic stuff that I had to do my work around was the too good to be true stuff. And I kind of went into, often I would get into places where I'm like, it's going to end. There's no way that this could be this amazing. Uh, and I, I didn't often worry about infidelity, but I would worry about losing him to death a lot. Wow. And, and I would say, you know, gosh, oh my gosh, I just, I'm so afraid this is going to end. And so that was also a piece of leaning into trust, allowing yourself to really be there for that. And and, and I also, I grew up in a place, in a, in a family where there, there was definitely a lot of love, but not a lot of affluence. I mean, we were very, very lower middle class. And so I was kind of had a scarcity mindset of got to hold on to things, got to hold on to things. And like, uh, what if, what if it gets taken away? What if it gets taken away? And, you know, I remember having like just a mess of a crying fit at one point, And my husband said, I'm not going anywhere. Like, it's okay. It's okay to drink this in. But one of the things that we both have said over the years is, and this is, <laughs> I think why it's so risky to be in love. It's so risky is the reason why we get to love as deeply and as richly as we do is the exact same reason why either one of us could destroy the other one in a heartbeat. So being that all in is oftentimes a risk that people aren't willing to take. Yeah. And, and I also think it's about being so fully sure <laughs> that it's, it's reciprocal, first of all, and that it's, that it's with the right person. Um, wow. And it's, yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, that's, that's a powerful story. I mean, at 18, 
God, I didn't know who the hell I was. I, you know, most people don't. And the ability to be so clear about your needs and wants is also quite remarkable. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest issues in relationships is we don't speak up and say what we want because we don't even know. That's we right. We want someone to figure it out. I mean, I grew up in a home where you had to mind read a lot and that's very common, you know, where, yes. you know, I'm feeling this and if you love me, you would freaking know that. And that's not how relationships work. It's not how healthy relationships work. The other part that, um, that I wanted to comment on was that he was willing to do the work from the beginning. Like he, he yes. was open. He didn't just go like, what, who is this woman? Right. Telling me like, I, it's too much for me. I, I'm going to back down, you know? Um, so I think, you know, that, that, like you said, it has to be reciprocal. And often, you know, the, what, the questions that I get all the time are, I don't think he's putting out effort the way I am. And, but have you asked him for what you wanted? You know, so that's the missing piece. It's like, yeah, he may not be, but he may think that's what you want. So we have that's to be, right. it works both ways. It really works well, both ways. All you can do is interpret. So that is all you can do. There's this set of facts. And so if you've tried to be coy and like elude to something, hoping that he magically or she, depending on your orientation, gets the, gets the hint. No, now no. we're playing games. And that's, that's one of the things that my husband has said over the decades has said, I didn't have to deal with any of those games. I didn't have to ever wonder. So it, think about that, everyone, <laughs> that if you're asking anyone to interpret your inflection or your jokes or your passive aggressiveness, <laughs> then you're not, you're not doing it justice, you know? And, and granted, there is a lot set up against us that you don't want to come across crazy, but I'll tell you what, I think by and large, a majority of partners would love to know exactly what you are asking. In the bedroom, for sure, but then also just in life, yeah. to not have to play the game and interpret, you know? Yeah, it's too much work. You're burning too many calories trying to figure it out. It's like, <laughs> I'd rather burn calories different ways. That's right. Uh, yeah, I really value clarity and kindness, you know, yes. and communication. So, which, you know, to tie it back to the inner critic, yeah. sarcasm, indirect conversations, all of those are guards that we put up to intimacy. So speak, speak to that, please. So one of the things that I see a lot in relationships is it is easier to be critical of somebody else than to be vulnerable. So oftentimes if you are really critical of your partner or somebody you're dating, uh, let's say it's it, your partner is really giving you a hard time about how much you work. Most of the time, it's not really about the work. It's about what I'm trying to say is I need more time with you, right? And I think that the exact same thing can happen with our own internal way that we speak to ourselves. And, you know, if we are, well, let me distill it down to this. I think that anytime there is pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain, which can absolutely be evoked by a very negative inner critic, it is messaging. It's just to pay attention. So if there is something that you are beating yourself up about, 
whether it's about relationships or your body or your finances or fucking up your kids or whatever you think it is, that's some emotional pain that warrants looking at. It's saying, okay, it's a an entry point. In fact, I remember having a coaching instructor who said, the minute your inner critic gets loud, that's when you are onto something. And I thought, brilliant. And that's also so comforting to know, okay, this is just messaging. There's some chatter happening. This is painful. That feels awful. What do I need to look at? Okay. There's some self-worth stuff here. Maybe I need to work with a coach or seek out some therapy, or maybe I need to work on communication stuff, or maybe I need to make peace with my body. But any time, I mean, if we have, let's say pain in our knees, we don't get pissed at our knees. We go, Oh, okay. I need to pay attention. I can't do that same run that I've always done. There's some messaging going, Hey, Amy, pay attention. I need you to take care of this. I need you to look at that. And that's the exact same thing that happens when we have that loop of negative self-talk over and over and over again. It's an alert. Something is awry. This doesn't feel good. Let's, let's pay attention here. And do something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so that's right. So the disempowering message is there's something wrong with you. You're doomed you'll never make it. Love isn't in the cards. You're not going to make enough money. Don't speak up. You'll scare them away. Right. And then the empowering thing to do is, okay, stop, stop and do something different. And so pay attention instead of just get paralyzed. So do you have any other like tools, skill set to help people who want to change the inner critic running the show? Absolutely. Well, there's a handful of things you can do. One of my favorites is a tool that I developed called NAC, N-A-C. It's an acronym. And it has to do with noticing those emotions, those things that are happening with you. So the N stands for notice and name. So to ask, to really identify what is it that I'm feeling because so much, I think I even heard you talking about this with um, Arielle Ford, that we don't spend enough time really acknowledging what it is we're actually feeling. We don't know if it's sadness, if it's overwhelm, shame, embarrassment, guilt, fear, and just acknowledging what's happening for us in the moment heightens our emotional acuity and intelligence. And then A goes to ask. And you ask yourself, what is behind this emotion? And what is the healthiest way for me to address it? Notice a name, ask, what is, what is behind this emotion? What is the healthiest way for me to address it? And then C is choose. And choose is going to be two items, okay? We're gonna choose our behavior. So for example, If you've been scrolling through Facebook and you've been seeing all these happy couples and it's been sending you into the depths of despair, get the fuck off Facebook. Like, don't stay doing that behavior if it's fodder for your inner critic, okay? So you choose your behavior and then you choose your self-talk. So let's say that you got really triggered around, um, let's say body image. And that's been something that you are like, I'll get back into dating as soon as I'm thin, right? As soon as I lose this weight. And so you're putting off your happiness, putting off what you really want. 
And so you're noticing and naming it. Okay, I'm feeling really uncomfortable or I'm feeling embarrassed. Okay, what is behind this? Well, and then you journal and you figure out, all right, well, I was told that this is what we're supposed to look like in order to garner love. And what's the healthiest way for me to address this? Probably book a session with my coach or maybe do hypnotherapy or do a program or journal or talk to a mentor, clergy, anybody. And then uh, choose. What am I going to choose? I'm going to choose my behavior. Okay, first of all, I'm not going to collude with anybody else who wants to talk shit on our exes or talk shit on our bodies. Okay, I'm, not, I'm going to discontinue my catalog from Victoria's Secret. And then I'm also going to choose my self-talk and my self-talk is not going to be something like, I love my body because that's going to feel like a bold faced lie. You're going to say something that is something you can buy into now. And I like to call it progressive language where you say something like, I'm exploring what it would look like to embrace my body. Or I am open to the idea of loving my physical body. Something like that where you're, you're not saying, oh, I'm beautiful, I love what I'm looking like, but where you're saying, I'm on my way to that and I, I recognize that self-loathing isn't working. So notice, ask, choose. Love it. That's great. I love acronyms. Easy to yeah. remember and they're really empowering. And, um, and I also love that you're not all about affirmations and looking in the mirror and going, you're amazing. You're the most beautiful person in the world because people really don't believe it. And it, you know, it, by saying it 10,000 times, it doesn't make you believe it more. You have to, you have to not feed bullshit into the mirror. That's and right. So that, that little increment of kindness, a little bit kinder, 10% better, you know, I'm absolutely what it would look like. I love that. Yes. I mean, it's, I completely agree with you because we know from kind of brain science that it is revolting and our, everything in the critical factor of the brain, which deciphers what gets from conscious mind into subconscious mind, it goes, oh, hell no. I'm not going to believe that I love myself. I'm not going to believe that I'm worthy of love. Oh, hell no. So that critical factor is there like a little guard and it's going, no, 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 absolutely not. So you got to get a little more slick around it. Yeah. So, um, sometimes it's even just lessening the intensity of your vocab. So if you, yeah, for example, I had a client who would always say, I'm having a fat and ugly day. And I said, okay, well, words have power, right? And if you are constantly saying that to yourself, it's likely that you're going to keep feeling uncomfortable and not loving your body. And so I said, well, what if we just start calling it a runner up day? Like maybe you didn't win the pageant today. Maybe you're just a runner up. And so she started doing that instead. So it's, it's meeting yourself where you are and going from A to B instead of A to Z. I love it. Runner up day. <laughs> I think just all the reframes are so helpful, you know, because we tend to see it one way. It's only, this is the truth, but it's not the truth. It's your truth in the moment. Right. Uh, yeah. So, and yep, absolutely. Well. Well, this, I mean, we could talk all day, Amy. I think so. <laughs> but unfortunately, we can't um, because of, of it's a podcast and people don't have all day. So, um, <laughs> um, but that's why you returned because you're, you're really wonderful to talk to. And this is oh, such great information. Um, so for my final question, I like to ask every person who comes on the show for a final tip on how people can go on their last first date. I would say 
that it is about, I love what you said earlier about values. And I think this is so very closely tied to standing 100% strong in your must-haves and your non-negotiables and not wavering on that and being really, really clear that what is acceptable and what's not acceptable for you. Um, because that is one of the places where the inner critic comes in and goes, you're asking for too much. You're being too picky. That doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. And what you're really doing, what, what's really happening in the, that moment is your inner critic is buying into this idea that, that what you want isn't possible. And it absolutely is. You just have to reframe that, that perspective. But the first item of business is to figure out what that really looks like. What are those things that are non-negotiable? And what are those things that are an absolute must have in the relationship? And, and really stand by that because if you don't do that, we take on project after project after project and we look for potential and we go, oh, I think I could train him. I think I could teach her. And then we go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, shit. I got myself into another cycle of what I've done in the past. Now, I'm not saying you can't be surprised and um, change what becomes a no or um, a a deal breaker for you. That can absolutely happen as well. But I think you need to have some sort of footing in what you want really does matter. Love it. Yeah. People really struggle with the must-haves and the non-negotiables. And it's that's why it's helpful to work with a coach because you can really hone it down to the things that are important. And you can stop second guessing yourself that you're too picky. That's right. I, I've had people come to me and say, everybody tells me I'm too picky. And, and I would look at these people who were just dating random men and weren't picky enough. You have no idea what you're looking for. So you're not too picky because you're not married by age 30. Ew. No. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I think most people need to start a marriage. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I know. I always say the first marriage was for having kids and the second one is for me yes i love like it companionship and and true intimacy because you know yes. we got to start somewhere it's like our first child we throw them out and get them out <laughs> <laughs> yes completely <laughs> um so amy tell us how we can find you yeah, so my uh, little corner of the internet is over at thejoyjunkie.com junkie is j-u-n-k-i-e and I've got a bunch of freebies over there. I do a podcast uh, as well that my husband is my sidekick. And um, so we, he likes to say he's the voice of the people. So if I get a little too coachy, he's like, yeah, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so he, he pulls me back down a little bit. But now I've created quite a bit of a monster. So <laughs> if I'm having a down day or something, he's like, mm, is that a disempowering belief? Or, and I'm like, I need you to shut up right now. Um, so no, it's great. I'm, I'm super grateful. But yeah, thejoyjunkie.com. Uh, I have a free workshop. I have a free ebook that's designed to help uh, in a lot of the areas that we've talked about today, specifically with regards to speaking up. There's some inner critic stuff in there uh, also. And uh, I hang out mostly on Instagram as far as uh, social media goes. And my handle everywhere is the joy junkie. So 
So, yeah, come hang out, get some free stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show for imparting your wisdom today and helping people tame that inner critic because it's going to take you down if you don't tame it. That's right. That's right. Thanks for having <laughs> yeah, me, Sandy. Thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. And if you love our show, please rate and review us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, but iTunes is always good. And don't forget to join Your Last First Date on Facebook. And we hope you have your last first date very soon. Thank you.